Friedgrader began the Inquisition mostly because the others were content to let him sit down. What's your name? Tor Haymarvard. What's that place on the island? The Haymarvard Keep. Keep. Don't you call it a stronghold? That's a foreign word. Is it really? Whom do you call foreigners? Where do they live? Far away over there, answered Tor Haymarvard, pointing eastward. Have you ever been there? Not likely. One can find trouble enough without going looking for it. Then, said Grader, seeking a clue to even the most rudimentary form of planetary communication, how do you know that they use this different word? We got a few foreign women by trade. They often use that word. Did these women permit themselves to be traded to you of their own free will? Haymarvard obviously viewed this question as ridiculous. What else do you expect them to do if they don't like any man in their own keep? Don't your women pick and choose? The ambassador interjected, let it pass. Captain, we've already gone over that subject. It's the same here as elsewhere and that's enough for us. Changing the subject, Grader eyed the others crude at. Tyre, asked, what do you think of the clothing we're giving you? Top notch. We could do with lots more. And some boots. He gazed hopefully at the audience. You've been sent here to fix us up with supplies. No, we haven't, informed Grader. After all this time it's been taken for granted that you'd have got yourselves pretty well fixed up on your own account. There's been nothing to stop you that we can see. All that is needed is organization and work. Nobody's going to organize us, declared Haymarvid positively. Nobody's going to make us work either. We wouldn't stand for it. To hell with them. The listeners exchanged glances before Grader went on. Seriously, have you never heard it suggested that there is virtue in work? Sure have. Haymarvid let go a reminiscent chuckle, Samuel the Good he called himself. Samuel the Goof was his proper name. Always prating about honesty, truthfulness and such like slobby stuff. Practiced what he preached, too. Worked like a slave while half the keep rode on his back. His brains were addled from birth. What happened to him? Died of exhaustion, still yapping his stuff. He'd have lived a lot longer and easier if he hadn't been crazy. Nobody listened to him, only for a laugh. Everybody works on terror, Grader said. I can imagine. Don't you believe me? Does he work? demanded Haymarvard, pointing at the ambassador's large paunch. I certainly do, assured the ambassador. You look it, said Haymarvard. My work is extremely important, in case you don't know. You don't fool me, Fatsky. Grader chipped in hurriedly. If you doubt whether we work how do you think we made the superior clothes we're wearing, the ship we're using? You've got slaves, millions of them. And we're here because our forefathers refused to be your slaves. They chose. Freedom, see, that is news to me, observed the ambassador with some sarcasm. What is? that they had any choice about coming here. To the best of my knowledge and belief they were shipped by compulsion. If that's the best of your knowledge, Fatsky, your worst must be terrible. Stop calling me Fatsky, insisted the ambassador. I call you what I like, Haymarvard retorted. You're not on terror now. Neither are you, thank heavens, said the ambassador. Now Shelton put on his toughest expression and threatened, if you don't see fit to be polite we won't see fit to give the promised reward. Don't get hard with me, you bleary-eyed punk, said Hamnot. Harvard, I took it for granted that the promise might not be worth the breath you'd wasted on it. 
again Greda broke in to keep the peace. If you doubted that you'd get the clothes why did you consent to come aboard? Because we wanted to know why you'd suddenly decided to look us up after all these years. There are reasons of high policy. That's just a lot of double talk, scoffed Torhe Marvard. Want me to tell you something? Go ahead. If Terra thinks the time has come to start trading, that's all right. There are a lot of things we could do with. Right. Now we'll swap 10 tons of fresh lizard meat for a few stutter guns, spares and ammunition, for instance. You interested? No. But if Terra's idea is to start some funny business you can all go and stuff yourselves. You're not going to transfer us to yet another planet. Neither are you going to walk in and confiscate this one. We're here and we're staying here, just as we are, and we're taking no lip from Terrans. You couldn't make a million of our ancestors lift a finger for you and you won't make a far larger number of us do so today. And who authorized you to speak for the entire world? Asked the ambassador. I'm speaking for the Haymarvet Keep. The other keeps can do their own talking. But it's a sure bet what they'll say. He made a gesture of contempt. The Mullahs and the Yantoffs are mentally retarded but even they aren't dopey enough to start doing chores for Terrans. Has it ever occurred to you, asked Grader, that some day you might be taken over by people who aren't remotely like Terrans? Such as who? Some alien life form with territorial ambitions. Such as who? Haymarvard repeated. It remains to be seen, Grader evaded. We'll believe it when we see it, said Haymarvard. By then it may be too late. That's our worry, not yours. Once more Shelton interrupted. Do you think that Terrans will sit idly by while weak, underpopulated planets occupied by their blood relations are conquered one by one? Who'll be doing the conquering? Another life form, as the captain told you. He told me nothing worth hearing, retorted Haymarvard. He said that the bogeymen will get us if we don't watch out. We know who the bogeymen are. Meaning Terrans, I suppose, inquired the ambassador. That's right, Fatsky. To the others the ambassador said heavily, this fellow's notions may or may not be representative of general opinion on this world. We haven't got the time to find out by making contact with 20,000 or 50,000 individual strongholds. It would take many years to do it. I'm afraid that that is the position, your excellency, agreed Grader. It's obvious that here we have to cope with what amounts to an enormous number of tiny, independent, self-sufficient nations each a few hundred strong. There is no real unity among them, no central authority. Each is a law unto itself. We like it that way, contributed Haymarvard. We don't like it any other way. Least of all do we like it the Terran way. You know little or nothing about Terra, the ambassador pointed out. You've been out of touch for 400 years. Things have changed in that time. They're changed here too, Fatsky. Not for the better that I can see. You appear to have established a stupid, inefficient compromise between the family unit and the old-style gang system. The result is a lot of petty clans each with its jerry-built headquarters, its hunting grounds and nothing else. No comfort, no security, no. Progress, no morals, no taxes, no work, no regimentation, Haymarvard added. The ambassador dismissed this with a disdainful wave of his hand. Let him have those denims. He needs them, God knows. Doubtless he'd appreciate a few bars of soap as well. Haymarvard said suspiciously, what's soap? 
stuff that gets rid of the smell. What smell? You wouldn't know, having lived with it so long, said the ambassador. But I've a pretty good idea of why your women get themselves traded from place to place. Hope springs eternal in the human breast. Scowling, Haymarvard asked, are you trying to be funny, you pot-bellied slob? That's enough, interjected Grader, sharply. He turned and addressed the trooper who had just entered. Give him the denims and let him go. Right, sir. The two departed. Soon afterward Haymarvard went to the shore bearing a bundle under one arm. The boat pulled in, took him aboard. Then it edged away for fifty yards and stopped there, rocking gently in the calm water, while its three occupants shouted unhearable remarks and made vulgar gestures at the ship. Picking up the phone, Shelton said, Ah, Sergeant Major, has Trooper Wagstaff got his knife? There was a short silence before Bidworthy came back with, Yes, sir. Well, that's something, said Shelton. Gazing through the port at the rude antics of those in the boat, the ambassador said with much soreness, a world full of no-good bums. Hereditary or environmental, prompted Grader. Obviously hereditary. Don't you think so? I'm far from sure, your excellency. Not sure. The ambassador stared at him. Originally we shipped a million hardened criminals, didn't we? Yes, that's right. And what have we seen here? I don't know. The characters we threw out of terror were multiple murderers, incorrigible perverts, all the criminal rubbish we could well afford to lose. Their descendants don't seem quite as bad as that. I'll readily admit they're off their heads in some respects but that doesn't make them criminals in the same sense that their forefathers were. Sorry, I don't agree with you. Captain, curtly responded the ambassador. They're dirty, dissolute, lazy, shiftless and totally without moral fiber. They are criminals suffering from serious lack of opportunity to be criminals, because in a world composed solely of their own kind, dog can only eat dog. The real test would come, offered Shelton, if we transferred some of them back to terror. Heaven forbid, said the ambassador. He took a chair, lay back and pondered a while before he went on, on each world. I am supposed to make contact with the central authority and come to an agreement about mutual defense. Being listed as hostile, this world is the only exception. Here, I am expected to use my own judgment in the light of existing conditions. He eyed the others as if inviting comment, but none came. So he continued, I am also supposed to establish myself as the representative of Terran authority on the biggest, best organized world, leaving a consul complete with staff and bodyguard on each of the others. Fat lot of use that would be here, opined Colonel Shelton. You'd need a veritable army of bureaucrats even if you appointed only one per stronghold. Moreover, to live beyond a week, each would need a bodyguard large enough to protect him morning, noon and night. He paused to let it sink in, finished, estimate the total number of troops required and you'll find it amounts to complete military occupation of the planet. Unthinkable, declared the ambassador. The strategic value is too low, and the cost too high. He did a bit more thinking, decided, before we can get anywhere with this planet it will have to undergo extensive and intensive education and organization, whether it likes it or not. That is Terra's problem and not ours. We'll make out a compranaut. Pensive report for the benefit of the experts and, he was cut off by the sound of a tremendous raspberry blown somewhere outside. Grader went to the port and looked out expectantly. So did the others.
The boat was now halfway across the lake and progressing slowly toward the island keep. A figure stood in its bow holding something that had a metallic glitter. Again came the derisive sound. Reaching for his field glasses, Grader looked through them, silently handed them to Shelton. He in turn had a look, let go an oath and grabbed the telephone. Is Sergeant Major Bidworthy there? Then where is he? Well go and fetch him. I wish to speak to him immediately. At the other end a voice called, Hey, Casatelli, the colonel wants the SM. Beyond it another voice echoed hollowly along a metal corridor, Hey, Pongo, you there? Old Cheeseface is howling for Ruthless Rufus. You tell him. Shelton growled into the phone. Kindly inform Trooper Casatelli that he will report to Old Cheeseface in one hour's time. Yes, sir, came back in startled tones. Then, after a pause. The Sergeant Major is coming right now, sir. Well, Sergeant Major, inquired Shelton grimly when Bidworthy was on the line. There sounded an embarrassed cough before Bidworthy said in precise, formal tones, I regret to report, sir, that Trooper Wagstaff has lost his trumpet. And how did he contrive to do that? He left it upon a rock on the shore, sir, while he conducted that visitor to the ship. Since he did not take the visitor back to the shore he forgot the trumpet. He has only just remembered it. Because those louts in the boat have seen fit to remind. Him, said Shelton sarcastically. Another long-drawn and somewhat overripe noise came across the waters by way of confirmation. Shelton looked pained. I take a very poor view of this, Sergeant Major. Yes, sir. It was our only trumpet. Yes, sir. We are issued with one and no more. Yes, sir. And now it has gone. Yes, sir. That and a jungle knife. Yes, sir. Can't you say anything else but, yes, sir, shouted Shelton. Yes, sir, Bidworthy admitted. Then say it. Sucking in a good, long breath, Bidworthy let go with, 1,768,421 Trooper Wagstaff, Arnold Edward Sebastian, charged with losing equipment while on active service. Namely, 1B flat Gabriel Horn, brass, 1 what, asked Shelton. 1B flat Gabriel Horn, repeated Bidworthy. It is the correct store's definition, sir. I don't want to hear any more, said Shelton, and slammed down the phone. Angrily he stamped out of the cabin. Raising his eyebrows, the ambassador remarked, our dear colonel appears to be irked. We all have our bad moments, said Grader. True, true, the ambassador released a deep sigh. We have other worlds yet to visit. Do you think that we can manage without a trumpet? I should hope so, your excellency. Then what is eating Shelton? The ship went up but did not immediately depart. It circumnavigated the planet a couple of times and took photo not. Graphs to add to those made during the first approach. This record covered only a few well-selected portions of the sunlit side but provided a fair sampling of the world as a whole. The photographic interpretation squad got busy with these pictures and concocted some data based upon the known size and population of the tongue stronghold. As the ship raced through the starfield they produced their statistics. The world as a whole, they said, probably contained about 16,000 strongholds, not counting 50 or 100 ROM encampments. The strongholds ranged in size from small ones of 400 inhabitants to the largest with 3,000, the average probably being about 1,200. The world's total population was probably between 
17 and 18 millions. Reading through this report, the ambassador said ironically, I find this most useful. It justifies the expert time spent upon it. We now have a number of so-called facts each preceded by the word, probably. It shows commendable caution on the part of those who don't want to accept responsibility for their own statements. An intelligent guess is better than no guess at all, your excellency, suggested Shelton, who by now had worked off his ire on the unfortunate trooper Casartelli. It isn't even an intelligent guess, denied the ambassador. It is based solely upon what can be seen. No account has been taken of what cannot be seen. I don't know how it is possible to do that, said Shelton, failing to understand what the other was getting at. I neither ask nor expect the impossible, the ambassador gave back. My point is that data based exclusively on the visible may be made completely worthless by the invisible. He tapped the report with an authoritative forefinger. They estimate 16,000 strongholds, above ground. How many are below ground? Subterranean ones, exclaimed Shelton, startled. Of course, there may be 50,000 of those, for all we know. We didn't see any. He says we didn't see any, the ambassador said to Grader. He spread hands to indicate that there was no comment. Worth making, Grader observed, there were other things we didn't see. I know, answered the ambassador. We didn't see any women, not one. But since the race exists it's reasonable to assume that its females exist. That's an intelligent guess made independently of visible evidence. They mentioned their women repeatedly, Shelton pointed out. Ignoring that, the ambassador went on, we have soared over more strongholds than I'd care to count without seeing a single factory. However, I don't think they've those hidden underground. It is my opinion that they have no factories, they have too low a standard of living and too strong a dis not. Like of honest work, there's something else they don't seem to have, contributed Grader. He mused a moment, said, the crooks we deported were, I believe, a drunken lot. About 90% of them were incurable alcoholics. So, prompted the ambassador. We haven't seen anything resembling a brewery or a distillery. Come to that, we haven't, the ambassador admitted. Which means, finished Grader, that no matter what other faults they may have the present inhabitants are at least a sober crowd. Not necessarily. They may lack the raw materials necessary for large-scale brewing, or the technique, the know-how. So they've turned to native drugs. That Torheimavad was glassy-eyed, insulting and aggressive. A hophead if ever I saw one. Grader shrugged, not wishing to argue the point. Discussion was futile, anyway. For sheer lack of facts the subject must remain speculative and the injection of personal prejudices didn't help one little bit. Fatsky naturally resented having been called Fatsky and that made the name caller a drug addict. When I was a kid, informed the ambassador, I detested spinach. Whenever I found it on my plate I bolted it first. Then, having got rid of it, I could proceed to enjoy my dinner. He smiled at the memory. That is what we've done. We've disposed of the only hostile planet and now should have something more pleasant in prospect. Which is the next? One, Captain, a place said to be named Hygieia. Oh, yes, I remember now that it was second on the list. I was supposed to read up what little is known about these dumps but never found the time. What information have you got in that little book of yours? Not much. Hygieia is recorded as a warm, lush and fertile 
world that was confiscated by a crowd who called themselves the Sons of Freedom. They went away, shipload by shipload, until there were none left on terror. Sometime later another and different lot, known as naturists, also went to Hygieia, presumably with the consent of the first ones. The grand total of those who scooted is not known but is thought to be about two and a half millions. Sons of Freedom, cogitated the ambassador. Weren't there a religious sect better known as Quakers? No, your excellency. You are thinking of the Society of Friends. They took over a planet which they named Amity. It isn't on our fist for this trip. Maybe some other expedition is looking them up. In which case they'll be dead out of luck, put in Shelton. I read about them once and have good reason to remember them. Stiff-necked pacifists, everyone. What do we care? asked the ambassador. Let them be somebody else's grief. This other mob may be just as bad, Shelton offered. I've never heard of the Sons of Freedom but it sounds anarchistic. To me, know anything about them, Captain, the ambassador asked. No, your excellency. More than 300 minorities took flight during the years of the Great Explosion. One cannot remember the full details of all of them. I suppose not. We could do with a professor of history on board. He contemplated the wall in meditative silence, then said, one thing is sure, they'll be crackpots. But it can be said that crackpots are a few cuts above common criminals. Provided they keep their thieving fingers to themselves, topped Shelton. I have an idea that the moment all these isolated groups set greedy eyes on a ship loaded with stuff they need they'll immediately believe in Santa Claus. Well, you've got one worry off your mind, the ambassador told him. They cannot steal a trumpet. The next world bloomed out of space like a brilliant blue-green ball that circled a pale orange sun closely resembling Sol, nine other planets and a dozen satellites completed this system but according to ancient reports Hygieia was the only one inhabited. Cameras started snapping the day side as soon as the planet had swelled sufficiently for its surface details to be revealed. Vast areas of forest stood untouched, many rivers flowed without a bridge across them. A considerable portion of the land area remained undeveloped and perhaps unexplored. All the same, the occupied part of the territory showed that the settlers had done well for themselves. Highways and railroad tracks ran through many of the broadest, most fertile valleys which were intensively cultivated to the very edge of the forests. Through these valleys, villages and towns were strung like beads. Here and there small factories could be seen, also several quarries and open-cast mining sites. There was a waterside city with a dockyard system in which white-sailed ships were lying at rest. The general impression was of a population several times larger and considerably more energetic than that of the previous world. These visible results formed an object lesson for the lazy and proved yet again that by the sweat of thy brow shalt thou achieve something or other. For his landing grader picked a long, low ridge with a granite outcrop. He was not interested in choosing the best position from the strategic viewpoint, the tonnage he was handling demanded a resting place of solid bedrock and it was his responsibility to put the ship down someplace where it would not bury itself up to the airlock doors. The vessel settled with the usual creaking and cracking sounds beneath the keel. Power cut off, air vents gaped and sucked in fresh atmosphere, warm and rich with oxygen. 
the fore, aft and midway airlocks were opened. This time the crew did not drop a ladder, they lowered the gangways. Emergence was in strict order of precedence. First the ambassador who planted an august foot on the world with the air of saying, I claim this planet in the name of terror. Second came Captain Grader, informal and impassive. Third, Colonel Shelton, frowning around as if hoping for the best but expecting the worst. Fourth, the senior civil servant, peering curiously through thick-lensed glasses. Then, of course, the next grade lower and in the same order, His Excellency's private secretary, the ship's second officer, Major Haim, second in command of troops, the penultimate pen pusher. Down another grade and then another until there was left only His Excellency's barber, bootwiper and valet, crew members with the lowly status of OS, ordinary spaceman, troopers with the lowlier status of plain, nondescript troopers, and a number of temporary inkpots dreaming of the day when they would be made permanent and given desks of their own. This last collection of unfortunates remained aboard to clean ship and refrain from smoking, by command. Had the world been alien, hostile and well-armed the order of exit would have been reversed, thus exemplifying the biblical promise that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. But this planet, though officially new, unofficially was not new and certainly not alien. As for its total lack of hostility, that was taken for granted. The Hygians were not criminals and therefore could be trusted to show proper respect for their betters. From the foot of the ridge stretched fields bearing a heavy crop of what resembled barley. A gentle wind sent shadows racing through the grain like waves upon a sea. On one side the cultivation ended where the forest began at the rim of the horizon. To the other side, a mile away, stood a medium-sized town. Through field glasses they examined the town. Suburban houses, which were nearest, proved small but attractive and seemed solidly built in brick or stone. No tall buildings arose from the center, the highest having only four floors. The whole place basked in clean air and bright sunshine with no haze or smog above its rooftops. Of mechanical road vehicles there wasn't a sign but from the northern outskirts trailed a long, fluffy line of vapor where a steam locomotive headed away. Well, my dear captain, enthused the ambassador, I must say that this looks lots better than did the last dump. Approvingly he sniffed the invigorating air. A most attractive place and a worthy addition to our empire, yes, your excellency, said Grader, not bothering to suggest that the inhabitants might have different ideas. I'd like it better, put in Shelton, if they had more manpower and greater industrial potential. Militarily speaking. They are weak. A mutual defense pact will be a one-sided bargain so far as we are concerned. No addition to Terran strength is to be despised, contradicted the ambassador. Besides, these faraway planets will serve as buffer states and absorb the first blows. Grader felt tempted to ask, from whom, but held his peace. Within the last few centuries bleeder ships had probed a considerable piece of the cosmos without finding any form of life more intelligent than an earth dog. To his mind, all this glib talk about a prospective menace from space was nothing but a pretext to extend authority as far as it could be. Taken. Peering through his field glasses again, the ambassador said with satisfaction, well, the problem of making contact is about to be solved. A couple of people are coming to us through the barley. He registered a gratified smile.
Nice of them to react SB promptly. It could also be stupid of them, opined Shelton. How? Do they know that this is a Terran ship? If they had no more sense than the average hick, which isn't saying much, they'd scout around and make sure of our identity before approaching us. Still watching the oncomers, of whom nothing could be seen save two heads above the waving grain, the ambassador replied, they must have been working nearby when we came down, otherwise they could not have appeared so soon. That means they're agricultural workers. You cannot expect a pair of farmhands to be military geniuses, my dear colonel. Shelton subsided, still thinking that wariness was not too much to ask of anyone, even a hazed. The group continued to watch while the others made their way carefully through the grain and eventually emerged at the foot of the ridge. Now they started climbing toward the ship. At that point the ambassador drooped his field glasses, rubbed his eyes and blinked several times. Shelton emitted an outraged grunt. Behind him, Sergeant Major Bidworthy rumbled like an active volcano.